Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 195, 195. Ryan, we are officially able to not wear masks out in public or at home or on the podcast or anywhere in Texas. Uh, I think I that it, the is it, it is, is the, it is the 10th, but uh, the time this comes the, out more or less. Hey, yeah. we went to a restaurant yesterday, no lie, and they wouldn't serve us because of the mask. And we're, so I don't know if they're, I don't know how many places are going to keep it up, but they would not, they wouldn't. And it's a buffet. So we thought, okay, buffets be back open, you know, and they said, no, you got to have a mask for everyone. And so everyone, even the kids. Even that, well, they didn't distinguish. They so, but it was just it was just interesting because we we kind of thought you know things would be open back up, but um, I don't know. I'm curious to see, but yeah, but but official, but so per the governor, by the time this comes out, we will be um, mask free, and so um, there was a thing where it said effective immediately, but it had March 10th on there. Did you see that? N- no, I didn't see that. I didn't, I didn't read it. It's, it's funny, but anyway, I I uh, I might not name any names. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I went to uh, we went to eat twice uh after that went out and one of them just the whole the whole crew had no mask on people behind the desk cashiers the cooks right that's the uh, thing so if you're if you don't want the mask go ahead and take it off now because what are they gonna like fine you for those 10 days or, yeah. you, you know so i thought it was kind of a weird that was a weird thing um so but whatever we're back here we go we do have a five-star review though josh here we go uh, oh, keep, yeah. keep it up this is from C the letter C she 22 C she 22 love listening to my to the show on my way out to cement Wells the Permian it's a great way to stay informed about the industry and get my mind thinking about the future okay um thank you so much for that it's always good to get a five star we're now at 301 so now the next next goal is 400 right I'll be 400 and listen this let me stop real quick and think I was looking at some shows the other day because um, some review stuff come up and we have a lot of reviews and so just thanks everyone who's done that it means a lot to us it helps our show helps support the show there's a lot of shows who actually have bigger audiences than us that don't have as many five-star reviews so we we do really appreciate it yeah absolutely yeah we got some of the the best uh listeners out there i mean we've very engaged man polar plunge that was a that was a hoot is that two years ago now yeah well it was been it been january 2020 right Oh, it was. Yeah. That's just a heck of a year there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad it was. We didn't do it January, 2021. Me too. Me too. I wouldn't have survived that. I one. wouldn't have survived. I, I have. just, I would have went down and just <laughs> stayed there. <laughs> you know, you'd have went down and popped up as like a big floating ice cube. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, there's, uh, several things that have come out this week. Um, I guess let's, uh, let's kick it off with, talk about the Saudis. So last week, uh, while we were talking on the show, two days from then, the uh, OPEC was supposed to have a meeting. We were both expecting for them to put, you know, a million mm. barrels of oil back on mm. the market because prices are up. Mm. This is their opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, why in God's green earth did they decide not to do that? I mean, I, I think the person to ask, because he was gloating over the weekend to me, is a uh, part-time co-host Robert Martinez, as he said that he was the you know he was really bullish on oil and we weren't. So 
he was kind of gloating on the weekend. I said, I didn't know you that you had those Saudi connections. So I'm beginning to think that <laughs> that Robert has some kind of inside inside scoop with the Saudis because, uh, yeah, you know, so there's a lot of ways to look at it, and maybe they just want a hundred dollar rule or eighty dollar rule. You know, I, I don't. It could well, be that they think that the the U.S. shell producers just do not have the capacity to drill the price back down again. And yeah, so, I saw that. There's a comment on a CNBC article where the the uh, they were asking uh, the ministry the minister of Ministry of Energy, and they said they didn't believe it uh, they could go back to the drill baby drill days. Uh, right. I don't know, it, you know, if he said it exactly like that, but it uh, essentially that's what he said. And so he he wasn't fearful. Um, let me tell you something though. <laughs> the worst thing you can do is say, "Hey, America, I don't think you boys can do that." <laughs> We'll do it just yeah. you off like this. We'll hold, hold my beer. Hold my beer, baby. <laughs> yeah, so. You uh, negative 37 with something. Hold on. Yeah. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I saw that and was like, I, I think he may have uh, under-anticipated what, what could possibly happen. I'm not saying it will because we have seen some consolidation and right. companies may want to be a little bit more responsible uh, right. the way they handle it. So. Uh, he he could be playing it right, but it seems to me that he's taking an opportunity to, to make a lot of money. Well, so if he is right in prices, there's a lot to unpack on this. Let's just let's just talk about the prices for one second. If he is right and the U.S. producers just cannot drill enough to drill the price back down, and it stays at seventy, huge win for the Saudis, right? Mm-hmm. Prices up to seventy, they're winning. Some shell producers will do good, others will still struggle, but for the Saudis, it's a huge win if he's right. And so just from that vantage point alone, if he is right very shrewd move they were right um in january and now they're right again in march so we'll tip the cap to them if they're right the other thing is is that you know china is the what number two three consumer of oil and um if you look at some of their economic numbers there's some concerns that you know maybe their gdp growth for 2021 is not gonna be that great maybe 2020 wasn't as good as we initially thought so if you know when you when I when I, when I think of the, the OPEC or the Saudis or, or whomever, you know, you, I always presume that they're talking to government world leader types, um, and they're getting inside information. So I, I I wonder how much of the Saudis' decision is based upon them hearing directly from China about what China's expecting to buy, and so could it be that China's like, yeah, no, we're you know we're tapped out of the market right now. We've bought too much or or, or whatever. You know, we're gonna you know reduce our buying. And so the Saudis are kind of like telling everyone implicitly like, hey, <laughs> you know, demand's not really back because China's this. So I don't know. Um, the other thing might be is that the Saudis want the price to be up. You start drilling now, you have summer demand. And so the, you know, people start drilling, kind of keep the price in check. So as summer demand from the U.S. comes up, the price doesn't get out of control. And maybe so there's, there's a lot of possibilities here why they're doing it. Um, and so, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a risky interesting proposition from their standpoint and i know it shocked a lot of people but the final thing i say is that last week we had the record building storage with 22 23 million barrels of storage right and the prices still went up so i don't know how that happens when you have a record storage increase but it did and so there is i think plenty of reasons to be concerned that the price is still overinflated but you know it is what it is so we'll see so uh i'm one of the questions i have and i don't know enough about it to, to give you um, how much insight here, but is Russia in, are they okay? Are they complying with, with these? I mean, I know what the Saudis did, but 
are they expecting a certain amount from Russia? Um, you may, you, we had not research, it's kind of just off the top of my head. So we might not, we might have to follow up next week, but I mean, so, uh, cause I know Russia was tired of them keep having to hold, hold back barrels while America was drilling. And it seems like Saudis are allowing that to happen again. Is Russia under any um, constraints of what they can do or do we know? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what where Russia came out at because they they were not in favor of um, what the Saudis were proposing. But I don't remember. I want to say they had a small increase, but I don't remember off the top of my head here where it is. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, small. Here it is. Um, Russia and Kazakhstan, okay, under the under the agreement reached Thursday, most members of what is known as OPEC Plus Alliance agreed to keep their output unchanged with the small exceptions of Russia and Kazakhstan to amount to 150,000 barrels a day combined. So not much. Not much, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, that's going to be interesting as well because the longer they draw this out, I mean, there are, there are these countries that are really wanting to ramp back up. Um the, the other thing, though, that was I thought was interesting is that a lot of the OPEC member nations, um, you know, Nigeria and all the other nations, they're, they're coming out kind of supporting the Saudi sentiment. So, uh, of course, Nigeria needs like a $130, $140 break-even uh, price. So, um, yeah, but they meet again in a month. So we'll we'll know in a month what they're going to do for the next couple of months. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's good news for folks in the OPEC right now, it seems. Heck, yeah. Heck, yeah. No doubt. I mean, um a month of good news here. So uh, it looks like uh, David Blackman put out an article on the 5th. This would have been soon after that meeting. And uh, he, he thinks that uh, the next U.S. oil and gas boom um, is suddenly on, on the horizon now. Uh, I don't think it was just because of this, but um, I guess the combination of maybe the, the cold freeze, the Saudis not putting oil back on the market. It looks like there's a uh, the there's also Ryan. We're going to be talking about this here in a second. Uh, the missile uh, that hit, mm -hmm. I think, Aramco was that last yeah, night. Yeah, I don't think it did damage, but yeah. I guess just just the the fact that it's going on though is driving yeah could potentially drive prices but, up. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely going to help prices and hurt them. That's for sure. I agree there. Um, yeah, so. I love how he opens this up. He says, uh, the history of oil and gas business in the United States is that every time the experts all line up to declare it's dead, it finds a way to come roaring back. Oh, okay. And David, well, agreed. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I would say every time every time we, we all line up to say it's back, it, it seems to die again. So <laughs> that's kind of the, the problem with the industry. Um, let's see here. Domestic oil industry. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I'm curious to know, you know, we talked about this going into 2020, which was, it was kind of in 2019, this whole narrative of, you know, if you had bad grades, you need a few years to kind of get your grades up in order. You know, did the, did, you know, 2020 would seem to be a significant setback for U.S. producers. And so, you know, and not all of them, but some of them. And so you, you talk about that we've had some MA. How many will be able to get, get money to go drill? I, I don't know. Um, and, and, you know, is it, is the industry back, you know, is it, when we say it's back, what does it mean now? And that's an important question to, to talk about. You know, are we getting back to previous production levels 
um, you know, previous production highs. And if, if not, then we could be back, but at a lesser rate. So we could have a new peak, if you will. Do we exceed previous production levels? So um, I think we're, I think we're a little bit, um, I love Blackman. We'll give him on um, again, but I think, I think we're a little early to say that we're back um, because as baby Blackman has pointed out multiple times, everything's dependent on OPEC plus keeping these agreements in place. So they came out in uh, April, May and said, Hey, you know what? Screw you guys. We're going to increase production by a significant amount. Well, then this whole thing falls apart again. Yeah. So if you look at the, the bottom line at the, you know, the very last paragraph, given the caveat, assuming that the current discipline of the OPEC plus group continues to hold together for the coming two year time frame, That's a big caveat. Um, yeah. It goes on to say the domestic oil and gas business is likely headed for another boom. It would probably be a more modest than the last boom, given the more disciplined outlook of the corporate players, but right. a boom will most likely be. Yeah. So the OPEC plus that's going to be a big one. And then just funding. Um, People got, you know, have been burned. And I also think it's going to have something, something to do with uh, the, how the government incentivizes certain things. You know, I think Tesla is set to have a huge year. But um, I wonder if the base load capacity for energy in Texas is going to be incentivized, you know, with natural gas or coal or whatever. Um, I, are they going to try to address this? And we're going to get into some of that as well. But uh, there's opportunities. The other thing is, is that, you know, Biden has talked about trying to kind of reestablishing something with Iran. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but you also have Venezuela. And so I saw some chatter that maybe they're going to change their stance on the U.S. is going to change its stance on Venezuela. We'll see. But if it does, does that open up Venezuela's production? And Venezuela's production is down, you know, um, like 500, 600,000 barrels a day. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was, you know, 1.5, 2 million. So, you know, can, can they get back up to 1 million, 1.5 million, 2 million? I, I have no idea. But you know, if there, you know, those are, there's a lot of, while there are a lot of bullish signs right now, there's still a lot of, um, a lot of traps. So, well, um, but Hey, you know what? We can change our minds week to week. That's the beauty of the, that's the beauty of the show, right? We just come back next week and say, drill, baby, drill. That's what we can yeah. say. We were, yeah. We or, can pretend yeah. to be Fauci and just, you know, all, all over the place. We can <laughs> change, <clears throat> change, rip it, rip it. Rip it. <laughs> so, uh, the, an article came out about the winter storm 2021 and it uh, basically says oil and gas interest left to self-regulate in aftermath of winter storm as Texas politicians pile on to ERCOT. So uh, there's another article. I don't know if I even put it in here that ERCOT was mistakenly charging like 16 billion to uh, energy companies that was then being passed on to some of the consumers. Um, because of mistakes, like it was, it was like, it was uh, mistakes in their grid. And um, anyway, it, there's a lot of mess going on with ERCOT right now. And it, I don't know that there's going to be solutions that they're actually going to bring to the table for us. Let, let me just point out, this is, goes back to the question that we've been asking this podcast is it, should there be, is there liability? Right. And no. it, because it's not clear, or at least, okay. If you're a lawyer, you want to come talk about it, please come. We'd have you, we'd love to have you on. Um, when you get in these situations, what you find out is that the whole system is kind of predicated on it working. And then when it doesn't work, you're like, well, who's to blame? And there's really no one to blame. Okay, you got ERCOT, obviously, but beyond that, it's like, well, who's to blame and who's who's taking responsibility and how do you figure this out? And because, you know, we've seen, you know, I'm sure you've had friends or people that you know have sent you their bill and it's out the roof. And it's like, well, you know, this is why I think the liability question is important. 
And so what, what is the responsibility of the power company to the consumer? What is there a reasonable level of, of, um, of uh, guaranteed delivery? And, you know, and I think that it's kind of hard to say for 29 million people that you can have those explicit contracts. I understand that, but, the, but, but I think that we need to think about that because the, the alternative is, is that we don't have those type of conversations. And then we just say, well, now we're going to have the government regulated. Maybe some people want that. I don't, I don't know, but it's when we find ourselves with these mess, when, in these messes, I don't care if it's a free market solution or a government solution, what you always come to is that no one really wants to take accountability and that there is no, real solution for how to solve these problems um that's that's easy and so we try to make a uh, you know a one size fits all and then no one's happy it seems so i wonder if if texas is even going to winterize their facilities and pipelines and turbines and are they going to do that or are they going to increase base load capacity or are they going to keep incentivizing some of this green energy i mean there needs to be something put in place to prevent that from happening because i mean uh, this was devastating for people that, you know, older folks at home mm -hmm. relying on oxygen. And I mean, this, it was unacceptable. Uh, I'm, we, we, I think we agree there. I, I, I just, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying incentivizing is the way to go necessarily. Uh, I think if they're going to incentivize something, this would be better to incentivize than yeah. things that are not going to help, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, so, I, but the, the couple of questions, and I don't know, maybe again, we have a, a grid expert who can come on. How long would it take to, so how much stuff has to be winterized, winter winterized, how long does it last? You know, so if you winter, uh, if you take it like a plant and you winterize it, like, is it last for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? I have no idea. I'd love to know. And then, so, so you kind of have those questions and how long would it take to do the whole state? So, it, so, because you might, these are questions that I'm just asking to the, the listener here um if you say well it only lasts five years and it takes 20 years to do the whole state well then you're now you're in the cycle of um constantly doing it which is fine it's just you need to let the consumer know that that hey by the time your the energy costs hits, are about to go up your, your energy costs are about to go up and by the time the next one hits we still might not have the whole state done i i, I but or maybe it takes three days to do the entire state obviously not but you know i don't know so if yeah. you well, I, I have you on i think that'd be an interesting interesting conversation to have uh with with people if they had an opportunity to say okay would you rather your energy bill go up by 20 percent every month all year every year for the next 20 years or by generator and, and winter and winterize it or would you rather take that and us leave it as it is and have to deal with these problems every once every 10 to 15 years well i mean how much is it, how much does the generator cost to run your house uh probably five thousand yeah I, I never have bought one i don't know let's see here so here's um let's see here depends on what kind of size i mean right you got a, you got a bunch of uh little chickens running around your house <laughs> right so yeah, yeah here you, you, yeah this you here's one. one that's this is this you know yeah five thousand is kind of a kind of it's kind of a, a base load here's one that's obviously a lot more expensive so three to five thousand i'm guessing i don't you know never bought I, th one. I think something like that you could run it you could probably just run like a portion of your house with the heater, uh, mm -hmm. refrigerators, and you know, be comfortable, but may, may not, maybe not have all your stuff. Right. So you had to say the problem is, so if you said this this storm happens once every ten years, right? So you take five. So you'd take a five thousand by one hundred twenty, right? So it's forty one dollars a month to buy the generator over yeah. ten years. 
Yeah. Would you rather pay $41 a month to have the power company provided or by the generator? I'd probably prefer to pay the power company. The power company to winterize, winterize everything. Yeah. yeah. Again, if, if, if the mass is right, if the mass is right, it's 40 bucks a month. Because with the generator, so 40 bucks a month, and then I don't have to worry about this ever again, versus 40 bucks a month, I've got a generator that's going to break. I got to repair it. I don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, but there's also, you got to throw in the fact, too, that, you know, a tornado comes through and knocks out your line. The generator pops on, so you have that's true. The, the $41 might no, be no, more no. versatile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, off the top of my head, I, I, I'm just saying. You know, if, if it was well, that's conversations that need to happen where people can say, you know, uh, that's one of the things that happened with uh, the, the healthcare stuff. Um, do you want free healthcare for everybody? Well, what if you got to pay for it with extra taxes? But what they would say is, do you want free healthcare? They would say, yeah. When you yeah. say, well, this is what it's going to cost you. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right, right. So I think when we talk about winterizing it, somebody's got to pay for it. And we got to figure right. out who it is and what's going to cost us and, uh, and just be transparent about it and, and we can make a decision. But the other um, benefit of the generator though is I know the cost of the generator. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this, right. they're going to say it's like 40 bucks a month. <laughs> And it's ninety five. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a. It, I think you're right. It's a great conversation we need to have. You break through, break it down. You know, how much does it cost a month? What am I getting in return? Now, I'll make this very clear. I'm not going to pay the forty bucks a month, and then in winter 2021, you go, oh, by the way, we didn't get there in time. I'd rather bought the generator. So, like, yeah. once I commit to paying this monthly fee, the expectation is you can't do this anymore, and so you can't have this can't happen. And so, again, not not talking about tornadoes. So. Um, you know, so like, listeners, let us know what, what do you think. And I'm curious. It's it's not a my perspective is it's not cut and dry. If if it solves the problem, I would say yeah, uh, forty bucks a month. I might be willing to pay on my energy bill. I mean, so our, our energy bills between kind of even know what, three four hundred dollars a month, something like that. That's kind of what y'all's is. Yeah, so ours typically runs around the two fifty mark. But we we, we hit over four hundred in, in last summer. month though. Yeah, but yeah, over, like, yeah this, yes, this was a booger. So, yeah, so two fifty four four hundred something like that. Um, you know, you get the summertime, obviously you're, you're hitting that a lot, you know, so you're talking about paying 440 instead of 400. That's, it's not, I mean, 40 bucks is 40 bucks, but it, the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's not the end of the world. And so, um, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, so we can move on. I just, I think it's an interesting discussion to have and at face value, I'd probably say paying the money if they could keep it on. But then you say, well, if you have a hurricane or if you have a, and that's the thing, people down south, uh, Texas might say, well, listen, we have hurricanes all the time. We'd rather have a generator because, um, because uh, the powers would go out. So I don't know. Yeah, I, that's a part of the part of the question um, there. So the article I did, I did pull this article, Ryan. So Texas will not fix ERCOT's sixteen billion dollar power billing mistake. Uh, so the Texas utility regulator had an opportunity Friday to eliminate some of the 16 billion the state's grid operator erroneously overcharged power companies during last month's deadly winter storm, but the board of the public utility commission chose not to do so. So I wonder, uh, it's interesting how that's going to play out, um, because they could have gotten rid of it, but they didn't. Uh, and so I'm not saying Texas should pay for it by any stretch. I just think we got to figure out how do they know 16 billion? How do they come up with that? And is there any way to track where the overcharges came and where the errors were? Because um, I know I know that that could be a problem. Yeah, I mean, again, this is my point a minute ago. It's like you get in these situations and you find out that, okay, well, you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of stuff in place here, and so um, yeah. So just to give clarification here. 
the market was at an artificial $9,000 for 32 hours and it cost 16 billion for that 32 hours. Yeah. What they're saying is they should reprice that for those 32 hours and then rebuild Rebuild. based on an updated price. Like cancel that, put in a different price and then rebuild it. And that seems reasonable to me, but yeah, we don't know. I mean, you know, my pay grade. (laughs) Well, I mean, so here's, here's um, the quote from the PUC chair, Arthur DeAndre. Um, I know I totally get how it looks like you're protecting consumers by, by reducing electric prices, but I promise you, you're not. You don't know who you're hurting and you think you're protecting the consumer and it turns out you're bankrupting someone else. Okay, so this the question here would be is, if I'm understanding what their argument, is that if, if they over... I mean, you get into some weird stuff here. So let's, let's, let's tease this out. So we have to kind of take this out of the, the, the reality of it is in some a theoretical world. So if, if they overinflated the price, right? Um, and they're paying people, you know, you know, time and a half over 40, and they're paying all this exorbitant rate, but the price is overinflated to help offset their cost. That's one thing. If they're sitting around going, oh, you know what? Everyone's freezing to death. Let's just jack up the price to be jerks. That's different. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But if I had to get some understand what they're, what they're arguing over here. So you need to more, but I, 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 I do tend to agree that if they, if, if they cannot assure the grid is to be on, but yet they can artificially hold the prices up, it seems to be that that's, again, it goes back to this whole liability thing. So you can, if, you know, you're, you're, you're sticking it to these people um, that you chose to keep the grid on and the rest of us are freezing to death. It's, you know, it doesn't seem to be a very equitable system. Yeah, I wonder too. I mean, if you go in, there may have been like extra costs involved in getting the gas to the market you know, it could have been. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So like, I, somebody may have been like, inflated. The, the price actually being inflated doesn't, it doesn't necessarily bother me at face value because the price could be inflated because of all these extra costs that they're, in, that they're going through trying to keep the, um, to keep the power on. Now, some people might say, well, they should have had those costs already built in and all this stuff. But so it's, it, it, we had to dig through it a little bit more, but it's, uh, well, what that nine thousand uh, dollars that it was it, that of the inflation wouldn't that bankrupt the power companies that are providing the power because they have contracts with people like me and you to give us power at a certain price. They got to pay nine thousand dollars and then sell it to us for ten cents or whatever. Well, no, I think they're talking about. Um, I closed the article. Sorry. Uh, me too. I think they're talking. Too. Yeah, on this one, they're talking about. Um. um So not everyone in Texas has a fixed price, right? Yeah, right, yeah. And so some Texas electricity consumers could have benefited from the decision to readjust electricity market prices. Um, and so my I, I, what I'm reading here is the whole yeah, the wholesale prices. So hmm. it's those who so, don't have the fixed price set. And so they're saying whew. that those people got overcharged. Yeah, they got charged a ton. Yeah, 9,000 regular one hour yeah that's uh that's scary there man i'd bankrupt you one hour (laughs) 30 minutes of sweating bullets we talked about
Yeah, we we out of cash flow here. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, we have one article for the Texas Roundup today. That is uh, revisiting the Noble Midstream um, uh, for the Chevron buyout and a one point three two billion all stock deal. So uh, I know Noble and Chevron have been in talks, and I think they just completed that so this came out on march the 5th at 8 30 so this would have been late last week and uh so it's an all stock deal um finishing some of that acquisition merger whatever you want to call it acquisition speaking so, of that i forgot to plug the newsletter so be sure to you know, we gotta bring back nate we're up to 301 so bring nate back support the show war Room newsletter we'll link to it in the podcast oops let me just go click it it's uh I think 70 bucks for the year or something like that, $70 a month is the discount that you guys get because you are our lovely podcast listeners. Helps us out. Really, really appreciate it. And next week we have on someone who's going to talk on about the grid, I think. Um, let's see here. Um, I think. Let's see the next week or the week after. So, uh, no, next week's something about safety. And the week after, I think, is the grid stuff. I don't know. It's We got some guests coming on talk about this stuff. So, we will be um, back. Right, Josh, next week? Nothing else? Yep. Yep, that's it. All right, until then, keep climbing.